Good morning, everyone. Am I nice and clear? Beautiful. If I haven't met you before, my name is Kurt. Welcome to the Green Room, which at this point is the St. Matt's Church. Uh, it's actually my garage. Uh, we are going to be looking at that part of Mark's account of Jesus' life. And so uh, if you've got a Bible there, you can keep it open. There's going to be slides on the screen. So if you're in side-by-side -side mode, you'll have me on one side and the, and the, and the slides or the, the Bible passages on the other side. Um, why don't I pray before we look at this passage? Father God, thank you so much for the opportunity to read about Jesus in the, the accounts of his life. Father, we pray today you'd help us to understand what this is about, uh, that it would change our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I had a friend growing up, a good friend growing up, who managed to convince me that he was the greatest American hero. I don't know if you remember that show from the early 80s, The Greatest American Hero. He told me story, the stories about when I went home, he actually put on his suit and then he would go out flying around and saving people. And I absolutely, as a seven-year-old does, maybe it was a little bit younger, believed him. But one day I said to him, show me your superhero suit. And so he went into his room and he opened up his drawer and with the sheepish grin, grin looked me in the eyes and showed me his pajamas. And then I knew he had made it up. He'd made it up. This morning, I feel a little bit like my friend. I feel a little bit like my friend. I'm going through a story today which sounds like the story of an ancient superhero and I want you to believe that it's true. I want you to believe that it really happened. And my guess is that most of you watching today are not seven-year-olds with big vivid imaginations who believe their friends when they probably shouldn't. I'm guessing that some of you, in fact, might find it hard to take this seriously. And so I'm going to ask you a favour. I'm going to ask you to be sceptical, but not close-minded. Sceptical, but open-minded to this story that sounds a bit like an ancient superhero story. Because if you believe this story is true, then it actually has the power to change your life. It has the power to change your life. Uh, this morning, we're beginning a series in Mark's account of Jesus' life, and the series is called Just Jesus. We're picking up Mark's account of Jesus' life from chapter 9. Uh, Mark, who wrote this, was a was, he actually wasn't a disciple of Jesus, but he wrote down the recollections or the memories of Peter, who was. And so as you read through Mark's account, it's very brief, and it gets to the point very quickly. Some people would really like that. Uh, from chapter 1, he introduces you straight away to this Jesus who claims to be God's promised king. So right before Jesus, the first, so if, you, if you've got a Bible there, if you've ever seen a Bible, the Bible books that come before Mark and Matthew are what's called the Old Testament. And they were the stories that pointed forward to the fact that one day God would send his king to save the world. And so Jesus comes onto the scene and he claims he is this promised king, this king that's been promised for, for centuries, for, for, for millennia. And he comes onto the scene like an ancient superhero. And so in chapters 1 to 8, you start to see his power. He does these incredible miracles. 
Uh, he, he enables blind people to see. He enables people who can't walk to walk again. Paralyzed people for years, 40 years, he enables them to stand up and walk. He enables the deaf to hear. He enables, he, 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 he stops weather. So the big storm and he says stop and it stops. Uh, he drives out evil spirits. He has power over demonic forces. And at the same time, one of the bigger miracles he does is he actually raises a young person from the dead. But all the while, as you see all these examples of his incredible power, right alongside that, he starts speaking about the fact that he is going to be killed. That the religious people that he came to be their, to be their Messiah, that they were going to kill him. And so by chapter 8, the end of chapter 8, you're wondering, how is this man with this miraculous power ever going to be killed? Why would he be killed? And it's even harder to imagine as you read this story, the story we just read at the beginning of chapter 9, when you see the power of Jesus. So chapter 9, I'm going to be reading from verse 2. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured. Uh, for that, what happens to a, like a butterfly when it comes out of a cocoon, it's metamorphosis. He was transfigured before them, and his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. Now, here's the incredible story, isn't it? And it's hard. You can see the writer here is even finding it hard to describe. He says, his clothes were radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. He's saying it's very, very, they were very, very bright. And so Jesus goes up a mountain with his disciples and he becomes before them. He, he metamorphosizes, becomes this different thing where he becomes as pure white light. And then two dead people come, Moses and Elijah, and they hang out with him. All right. Moses, who lived 1,200 years before, Elijah, who lived 800 years before. Now, you read that story, and it's really hard to believe, isn't it? It's really hard to believe. It's really hard to not be super, super skeptical and closed-minded. And so I'm going to ask you again just to hold off on the skeptics, hold off on being closed-minded, and let me explain the significance of what this is saying. First and foremost, uh, Moses and Elijah are the representatives from the first half of the Bible. And so the first section of the Bible, we say, was written by Moses, and that is called the law. All right, And the second half is what we call the prophets, and Elijah being the chief prophet from the Old Testament. So in a sense, these two representatives are in a sense saying Jesus is the one we kept pointing to the whole time. Moses and Elijah pointed to Jesus. But at the same time, this story connects with two stories related with Moses and Elijah. Both occur on a mountain, at Mount Sinai, in fact. And so the first one involves a man named Moses. In the book of Exodus, it recalls that God uh, sends Moses to save his people from Egypt. And so he brings them out of Egypt miraculously, and he brings them to Mount Sinai. And when they arrive there, it says that God's presence comes down on the mountain as this thick cloud uh, with lightning and fire, and it covers it, covers the entire mountain. And so God says to Moses, Moses, come up the mountain and have a chat to me. And so Moses goes up and speaks to God. And while up on the mountain, Moses says to God, God, 
show me your glory. Now, what he means by that is, show me your godness. I want to see who you truly are. And God says, yes, I will show you my glory, but you cannot see my you can you cannot see it from the front, or you will not be able to survive. And so I'm going to pass my glory go past you and I'm going to hide you in a cleft of the rock so that you can only see it from behind. It, he says, basically, if you get too close to me, it's like looking, it's like going too close to the sun. You, you won't survive. And so as Moses gets put in the rock, God's glory passes by. Moses sees it from behind. And then as Moses comes down the mountain, his face is shining. It's like the glory of God the brilliance of God has, has rubbed off on Moses. So that's Moses. Okay? 400 years later, you have Elijah, the prophet, prophet Elijah. He was one of God's prophets. Now, most of God's prophets had been killed by an evil king called Ahab. And so Elijah is distraught and distressed, and he goes running, and he ends up at Mount Sinai. The reason he goes there is he wants to go back to where God spoke to Moses. He goes there to hear from God again to say, Hey, God, give me a new promise. We're in a lot of trouble here. And so God says to Moses, God says to Elijah, I'm going to cause my glory to pass in front of you. And so Elijah covers his head, it says, and God's glory passes by Elijah. Now, in this story, what's happening here? We're on a high mountain. We have Moses and Elijah. And then we have Jesus shining as bright as the sun. Jesus, in a sense, shining as the glory of God. You see, this story is saying that Jesus, the carpenter and, uh, and rabbi, itinerant religious teacher, was God become man, was God's glory seen. And it's in this moment, as he is transfigured, as he is changed before his disciples, that it's almost like he takes off his human suit and shows his godness. Now imagine how you would respond to that if that took place. Verse 5, And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. Now these guys were understandably freaked out. If you were there as well, you, I imagine you'd be freaked out as well. You wouldn't be just cruising. And so they, they, they start talking and it sounds like they're just doing crazy talk. All right, they're just terrified talk. And so it's like, uh, um, all right, so, uh, let me make some tents. Let, let's make three tents. But it's actually not a bad suggestion. See, back in Moses' time, God called his people to actually make a tent or what he called a tabernacle for his glory and his presence to dwell among them. And the reason he did that is because humans needed a, a, like a physical reminder that God's presence is so incredible and perfect that we can't stand before it. But although there was the tabernacle back then during Moses' time, there was also a tent that also came before the tabernacle, and that was called the tent of meeting. It's in the Exodus as well. And it describes that as they were going through the desert, they would erect this tent outside the camp, and the cloud that led them through the desert that represented God's symbolic presence would come down on that tent. And then Moses, only Moses, would go into that tent 
And that was the place where Moses would talk to God, would talk to God. Now, look what happens here. Verse 7. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Now, again, the cloud in Moses' time was a symbol of God's presence. And so here God's presence comes down on this mountain and God, the, God speaks from heaven and says, this is my son. Now, at this point, you might be a little bit confused by that because we just said that Jesus was God and yet God is now speaking from heaven. How does, how does that work? It seems like God's in two places. Well, although the Bible teaches that there is one God, it also explains that that one God is made up of three persons, kind of three persons in community. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, a unified relational being. Here, God the Father is speaking from heaven and saying Jesus is God the Son. God the Son made man. Verse 8, And suddenly, looking around, though no longer saw anyone with them, but Jesus only. Now, this sounds like the, the bad ending to a, like a year four, year five creative writing story. You know, when you get, they get to the end and they say, and then I woke up, or then I realized it was all a dream. Um, there's this abrupt ending and you think, what's that all about? All, just, it's all gone. Was it just a vision? Was it, what, what was it? This is the punchline of the story. This is the punchline. So the disciples had seen Jesus being revealed as God's glory, the brightness of God's glory. Peter then says, let me build tents to protect us from your goodness. Let me build tents to provide a place where people can come in and speak to you as God. The cloud comes down. God the Father says, this is my son. Listen to him. And then all you have is Jesus. And then all you have is Jesus. You see, you see the point. God's glory no longer needs a tent. Jesus is God's tent. He is God amongst us. He is God with us. God has come down into the world in the tent of his son. And so Jesus is the way to meet and talk with God. Jesus is the way to meet and talk with God. If you've seen Jesus, if you know Jesus, you know God, because Jesus was God, become man. Jesus is the way to meet and talk with God. Friends, I, I know there are lots of religions in the world and lots of forms of spirituality. And I dabbled with a bunch of different things in my late, early 20s. And I saw spiritual healers and I tried different religions. But only Jesus claimed to be God, become man. Only Jesus did. And when I met him through the words about Jesus in the Bible, honestly, I can say it was like trading in kind of like a, a fake form of spirituality for the real deal. For the real deal. Jesus is the way to meet and talk to God. And so the question this section is asking you, the question it's asking all of us is, will you listen to him? 
Will you listen to him? For the next eight weeks, we're going to be listening to the words of Jesus, working through Mark's account of Jesus' life. Will you listen to him? Will you be the skeptic who has an open mind to listen to the words of Jesus, the claims of Jesus, who he was and what he came to do? Now, at this point, some of you still may be very, very skeptical, thinking, how can we know this story is not just another set of pajamas? It's not, it's not just a made-up story, an imaginary story, a mythical story made up to try and garner a following. Verse 9, And as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. Now, this is something you see repeated right through Mark's account, the first eight chapters. Jesus says to them over and over again when he does incredible miracles, don't let people know what you've seen or don't tell them who I am. Why? Well, the reason was he was not the superhero that the Jewish people wanted at the time. See, they wanted this promised king who would come, who would what I'd call what I'd call a kick butt king. He, they wanted him to come and kick the butt of the Roman Empire to be a powerful one. Now, Jesus is aware that if this story gets out, that he pulled off his skin suit and showed his, 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 you know, his glory, his power, then people would have the expectation that he would be that sort of king, that he was going to come and destroy the Romans to liberate the Jewish people. But Jesus says, don't tell anyone about that until I come back from the dead, until I'm resurrected from the dead. Now, why does he do it? Two reasons. One, Jesus' power was displayed in his death. So Jesus' ultimate power is actually displayed in his death and weakness. So there's one thing that makes Jesus different to the superheroes you watch on television and in movies. He didn't come just to save the good people from the baddies. That's, true. That's typically what superheroes do. They save the goodies from the baddies. Now, Jesus came to save all of us from ourselves. He came to save all of us from ourselves. You see, the major th- a major thread runs through the right through the story of the Bible, and it's this idea that the biggest problem that human beings face, you and I face, is not the bad things out there that affect our lives or the people out there that affect us, but our biggest problem is within. Deep down in our person, we have, a, we have a problem. And that is this. We don't want to listen to God. We don't want to listen to Him. And it, and it sounds innocent. You know, it sounds innocent. Oh, just kind of ignore God. Don't really listen to this. It's deadly. Because when you don't listen to the creator of the universe, to the one who designed life, who knows how it works best, then we think we know better and we can do this, this whole life thing better. But what we end up doing is we hurt ourselves and we hurt other people and we hurt our world because we've said to God, we are not listening to you. And so God, because he's a good God, can't just sit up there and think, oh, I don't really care that they're wrecking my world down there. I'm just going to let them go and just smash up the place and hurt each other. Because he is good, he needs to remove that which is wrecking his world. And unfortunately, that's us. 
But instead of removing us, Jesus claimed that he came to save us, to take our place. And he explains it a little bit later in chapter 10. He says it really clearly. Chapter 10, verse 45, he says, For even the Son of Man, so he's talking about himself then, did not come to be served, that is to use his power to have people serve him, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You actually see it in some superhero movies. You saw it in Endgame right at the end. I'm not going to give away the ending. Go and watch it. But one of the superheroes dies for the sake of everyone. On the cross, Jesus paid the price or the ransom for our sin. He died instead of us. For all the times we haven't listened to God, we've ignored God, whether we're consciously saying, I don't want to hear you, or unconsciously just living our lives like he doesn't even exist and killing him off. Jesus on the cross took all the consequences of our sin. The all-powerful one used his power to serve us. And so Jesus says, don't tell anyone about my power because I have not come to save the goodies from the baddies. I've come to save everyone. I've come to save people from themselves. And if you are a follower of Jesus already and you've put your trust in this Jesus, then what you're going to see is this whole chapters 9 and 10 is saying, if you know that Jesus, then in the same way he used his power to serve you at, sacri- at cost to him, tr- you know, extreme cost to himself. So you, if you follow him, should use all the power you have to serve others. To serve others, to lay down your life for others. Following the one who saved you, who served you. Jesus says, don't tell anyone. Why? Because his power was going to be displayed, not in kicking the butt of the Romans, but in dying on the cross. And secondly, Jesus' power was verified by his resurrection. He's verified by his resurrection. Now I go back to the question, how do we know that this is not a made up story? Like my mate told about him being the greatest American. How do we know that? Well, Jesus tells them, don't tell anyone till I'm risen from the dead. Now, why does he say it? Because he knows that if these guys wander down the mountain, go up to their mates, all right, and and say to them, hey, we went up the mountain and Jesus became light. And uh, then they're going to seem like crazy men, aren't they? They're going to seem like crazy men. It's not going to make any sense. But Jesus says, but after I rise from the dead, then it will make sense. Then the incredible will seem credible. And so today, if you're someone who's listening today, watching today, and and you're skeptical about the truth of this story, that's a good response. In some senses, that's the expected response to this story. So let me encourage you to take that skepticism and engage this story of Jesus, the claims of Jesus. See, the Bible claims that Jesus died on Friday on a Roman crucifix. He died. He was placed in a rock tomb. A large stone was rolled in the front of it. Guards were placed outside to guard the tomb. On Sunday morning, his body is gone. And then over a period of 40 days, he appears to multiple people at multiple times. At one stage, he appears to up to 500 people at once. He has meals with people, 
All right, he, he, uh, wa- he's touched by people, he walks with people, and after 40 days, it says he ascended into heaven. Now, the Bible puts these forth as historical claims to be verified, historical claims that we can bring our skeptical minds to, to evaluate. See, lots of people think Christian faith is blind faith. It's like a blind leap into the darkness. It's not based on facts. You've just got to believe. But Christian faith is for the true skeptic, the skeptic who is open to the possibility that it might be true. Not closed-minded, it's for the true skeptic, the open-minded skeptic. The Christian faith does not require that we open up our skulls, take out our brains to believe in God. It requires, it calls us to use our brains to evaluate whether the truths about Jesus are real, whether it actually happened, whether he really did rise. And so this morning, I want to encourage you listening this morning to find out more. If you're a true skeptic, if you're open to find out more. Now, there's a church, sorry, there's a course that our church runs that we'd be happy to take you through. That's an online course. We can send you a book. There's things on the internet that we can send you. Please just make contact with our church and we'll let you know how to actually find out more. To some, the story of Jesus might, sound like a, might, might seem like a pair of pajamas, like an ancient myth. But to those who stop and see the significance of what it's about, it's life-changing. It's life-changing. The all-powerful God sent His all-powerful Son into the world to save us from ourselves, that we might meet Him, that we might talk to Him, that we might listen to Him that we might become like him to use all our power to serve others like he served us. Friends, will you listen to Jesus? Will you listen to Jesus? Let me pray. Father God, we thank you so much that you have sent your son into the world that we might know you exist but most of all, that you might save us, sending him to take the punishment for our sins. And so, Father, we ask that you would help us wherever we're up to in our journeys to understand who Jesus is more and more and to accept his gift of salvation. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.